You may be seated. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its stories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good, the design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, health to the soul, and a river of pleasure. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Father, we thank you that we have the word of God. We have the truth at our fingertips and in our minds and in our hearts. And Lord, I just pray today that you'd show us things that we've not seen before in your word. Draw us to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So good morning. How is everybody today? Tired? That's a common theme I've heard. Who else is tired? All right, I'll try not to make you fall asleep today. Today is week five in our basic training message series, so we're in the fifth week of spiritual boot camp. How are you feeling? Good. We got one more week. Can you hang in for one more week after today? Okay. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the importance of us wearing the armor of God. And to put on the whole armor is simply to put on Jesus. Because as we've said, putting on Christ, abiding in Christ, the armor of light and the armor of God, these are all one and the same thing. Just as a soldier will put on armor in preparation for physical battle, you and I need to put on Jesus in preparation for spiritual battle. Jesus is the armor that protects us from all of the devil's attacks, all of them. However, before we can put this armor on, there's one thing we've got to do first. And that one thing has to do with us getting rid of or putting off the deeds of darkness before we can put on the armor of light. We cannot experience victory trying to wear the armor of light while, we'll st while we're still wearing the crud that we need to take off. To think that we can put on armor right on top of all the crud we're wearing is like trying to run into battle with your armor that has holes in it. It's not going to protect you. So we need to put off the deeds of darkness before we can put on the armor of light. We've talked about this in great detail in past messages. Colossians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 5 are full of lists specifically of what those deeds of darkness are. 
And we've always got to remember that to put those things off and to put Jesus on is not to do it in our own strength. We need to do it in his strength. He is the one who can and will help us in this effort. We just need to humble ourselves and seek him above everything else. Now, last week we talked about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. The shield of faith is Jesus. In order for the Lord to be the shield of faith for you, there must be trust in him from you. The only way for us to effectively hold up that shield of faith is by placing our complete trust in Jesus. And there's a big difference between knowing intellectually that God is a shield and actually taking him up on being that shield. Genuine faith is not just knowing. It's also acting on what we know or what we believe. Because genuine faith always results in us trusting God by obeying God. Because if your faith is truly in God, you will obey God without the need necessarily for any visible evidence. True saving faith believes in what God has said and trusts him enough to take action on it. Trust is what activates the shield of faith. And this shield is what gives us the power and the protection to withstand anything the enemy throws at us. Anything. Now, the helmet of salvation, this is what protects our mind. It's what gives us hope. But in order for this helmet to be truly effective, we must treasure what it represents. It represents Jesus because he is our salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. I shared Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28 last week, and it was so good that it bears repeating again today. Because what you hear are the words from someone wearing the helmet of salvation. So here we go. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. This is someone who treasures the Lord. This is someone consumed by the Lord. This is someone who completely trusts in the Lord. And this is a picture of someone who is wearing that helmet of salvation. And this is also where we left off last week. So how can we have this? How can we delight in the Lord like this? The answer comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. What Paul is saying here is that we're not to follow the patterns of the world. We're not to do what the world does. We're not to talk like the world. We're not to look like the world. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. Therefore, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, the helmet of salvation protects our mind, but what actually renews our mind is the word of God. Another name for that is the sword of the spirit. And now we can pick back up where we left off from last week. So let's review our text. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. So if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there now. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen. Here we go. Paul says, Therefore, take up the whole, the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the next piece of armor that we're to take up is the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. You see that right here in the text. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the Word of God is Jesus. That's the connection. The sword of the Spirit is Jesus. Watch this. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 1 and 14 tells us this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, as we've been saying for the last few weeks, Jesus is the armor that we need to put on. Jesus is both the word of God and he is the sword of the spirit. This explains why the word of God is so incredibly powerful. This is why evil trembles and runs at the word of God. Because when the word of God is spoken, it carries the very essence of Jesus Christ himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If we would only understand this and live under his authority. How does this connect to the armor of light? Psalm 119, verse 105, it says right here, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word is what shines the light into this dark world so that we can see and know where we're going. Now, there are three primary questions that I want to answer this morning. Here they are. Three primary questions. First, why is the word called a sword? That's the first one. The second question is, why is the word called the sword of the spirit? And the third one, how can I take up the sword of the spirit? In other words, how can I use it? How can I wield it? These are the questions that we're going to answer today. Now, this last one, we're going to spend the most time on because it will provide the practical application that we all need to effectively wield the sword of the Spirit. So, let's, go, let's jump right in. Why is the word called a sword? That's the first question. I would say that the best scripture to answer this question is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, which says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and it is a discerner to the thoughts and intents of the heart and there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account the word of god is so incredibly sharp and powerful that it can slice right through anything It separates what's worldly from what's spiritual. It reveals who we are and who we are not. It can penetrate all the way through us easily, and it can discern, divide, and distinguish between good and evil, light and darkness, truth and error, wisdom and foolishness, spirit and flesh. The sharpness of his word exposes everything in our hearts and our minds, allowing us to see the sin and the unbelief in our lives. And it also judges the thoughts and the intent of our heart. There is nothing hidden before the Lord. He sees it all, and his sword is what reveals it all. 
And something noteworthy about this sword is that we can use it both defensively and offensively. In other words, we can use this sword to help defend ourselves against the enemy, and we can use this sword to go on the offense and attack our enemy. So we can defend against the enemy, and we can advance against the enemy using this sword. This sword is what can send our enemy into retreat, which is exactly where he belongs, in retreat. The sword of the Spirit is incredibly powerful. Nothing can stand against it. But we must understand how to properly use it. We're going to get into that here in just a few moments. Our second question for today is, why is the word called the sword of the Spirit? Well, the answer is that the Holy Spirit is the one who forged this sword. It's the Spirit's sword. Therefore, that's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It was God through the Holy Spirit who breathed out the Word of God, and it was man who wrote the words down into what we now know as the Bible. There were more than 40 different human authors across 66 different books in the Bible. But it was God, through the Holy Spirit, who breathed these words into their hearts and into their minds as they wrote them down. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 21 and 21 confirm what I just said. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who forged this sword. He is the author of the Word of God. And not only did he forge this sword, he's also the one who wields this same sword. He uses it to cut and to convict. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 8, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching his sermon at Pentecost, the word says in verse 37 that those who heard Peter's words were cut to the heart. There's the convict and there's the cut. Because that's exactly what happens when someone hears the word and then applies it in their own life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who makes all this happen. He wields the sword of the Spirit. He is the one who give it, gives it its sharp edge. He is the one who makes it effective and powerful. The Word of God cuts to the heart because it's the Holy Spirit who forged it, and it's the Holy Spirit who wields it, which is why it's called the sword of the Spirit. Now, our third and final question for today is, how can I take up the sword of the Spirit? How can I use it? How can I wield it? That's what we're going to answer today. But before I answer this question, there's something that I want you to see, which is very interesting. I noticed this in my study I thought it was worth sharing. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Greek word that is used for word here is different than what is typically used. In the scriptures that we read earlier in John chapter 1, when it said, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the Greek word that was used for word in that text was logos. And also in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, when it said, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Again, the Greek word used 
was logos. However, here in our text, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, where it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the Greek word used here is not logos. It's actually rhema. It's rhema. Now, there's a lot of debate at the scholarly level concerning these two words. And some would say that logos and rhema are actually used interchangeably. But I believe there's, there's a very important distinction between these two words that's worth talking about. Logos typically refers to the Word of God, the written Word of God. That's what Logos typically refers to. However, Rhema, Rhema is a spoken word. That's what Rhema is. It's a word that is spoken in the moment. So the idea here may be that when Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he's saying, put the Word of God into practice. Put it into action. Speak it directly into your lives. Speak it as the Holy Spirit provides it. And you see, that is my heart for all of us. That we would not just have the Bible on our bookshelf at home. That's Logos. No, I want us all to be able to say, I not only have the sword of the Spirit, but I'm actively using it in my life to defend and to advance against the enemy. Now, if you've ever felt like the Word of God just comes to life and suddenly jumps right off the page at you and speaks directly into your situation, or maybe you're out and about and suddenly a specific scripture crosses your mind and then comes to your lips. That is rhema. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to us and applying scripture directly to our lives. I want all of us to have the Bible in our heads, in our, in our hearts, in our mouths, and on our lips. And we can use it in whatever moment we may need it. That's what my, my prayer is for all of us. But this will require some spiritual disciplines. And that's what I want to focus on for the remainder of our time together. Is I want to answer that question, how can I take up the sword of the Spirit? I'm going to give us ten things that we all need to do. There will be ten spiritual disciplines that it takes to take up the sword of the Spirit. What's important about these ten things is, guess what? If I have all ten things and I'm putting it into practice, I have a double-handed grip on this sword. I've got all ten fingers engaged when I'm holding the sword of the Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about. Ten things. Normally you come to a sermon, you get three points, right? And you're out the door. I'm giving you ten today, so buckle up. Now, these things that I'm about to share, this is not a pick-and-choose list where you can just pick your favorite five and then wield the sword with one hand. No! We need to have all 10 spiritual disciplines in our lives so we can have a double-handed grip on that sword. So here's number one. Read the Word. Read the Word. Now, that sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? That's our title for our series, Basic Training. We've got to master the basics. It's critical for our spiritual growth. So when I say read the word, I know that's not some earth-shattering revelation. However, I wonder how many of you have read your Bibles this past week? I wonder, you don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. I wonder how many of you have read your Bible every day this past week. I wonder how many of you have read your Bible all the way through. Some of you have been following the Lord for a long time and you've never read the Bible all the way through. Now, some of you also may, might say something like this. I just don't have time to read the Bible. 
I've heard that phrase actually a lot. I don't have time to read the Bible. That's not even a true statement. Did you know that? That is not a true statement. What you really mean is, is that you've not made it a priority. That's what you mean. We cannot lie to ourselves. We cannot lie to God for that matter when it comes to the excuses that we come up with for why we're not reading our Bibles. The truth of the matter is this. If you're not reading your Bible, it's because you don't want to read your Bible. It's never a problem with time. It's always a problem with our priority. It's a matter of our heart. That's what it is. It's a heart issue. So if we don't, if we don't read the Bible, then this means there's something wrong with our heart. We have a heart problem. Because reading the Bible is never about a time issue. It's always a priority issue. Listen, children of God make the Bible a priority in their lives. They make it a priority. Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus had spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting and praying. You can only imagine how he must have felt after that, right? How hungry he might have been, how weak he might have been, how tired he might have been. And guess who shows up to tempt him? Verse 3 calls him the tempter, which is just another name for the devil. That's, when he, that's oftentimes when he shows up, right? Moment of weakness. He's there. Count on it. Here's what he said to Jesus. If you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Notice he's playing on the weakness. Been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. What does Satan come at him with? Hunger. Now the devil will use whatever means necessary to try to bring you down. He knows our weaknesses and he will exploit them. But I want you to hear how Jesus responds. Here's what he said to the devil in verse 4. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written. That was his defense against the enemy. The word of God, the sword of the spirit. That's what Jesus did. He took his sword out and started hacking, hacking him up, didn't he? I love it. If you're not reading your Bible, then you have no defense against the enemy. That's what it comes down to. You have no defense. And even more than that, if you're not reading your Bible, then you're starving yourself spiritually. Every word of God is for our nourishment. Every word. So you can never say, I don't have time. It has nothing to do with time. It has everything to do with the desire of our heart and what our true priorities are. Now, I don't say these things to shame you. I'm never here to shame you. That's not my, that's not my thing. I'm here just to speak the truth. And sometimes it hurts. We said the sword of the Spirit is what? It's used to convict and to cut. That hurts. It hurts. I'm not called to get up here and make you feel comfortable. I'm called to get up here and speak the truth. Now, unfortunately, all of this is not uncommon in the American church today. The statistics show that sadly there is a small percentage of those who attend church who actually read their Bibles on a regular basis. And there's a growing epidemic of biblical illiteracy in the world today. But the truth is, if you would just spend 12 minutes a day reading your Bible, you could read through the entire Bible in a year. 12 minutes. 12 minutes a day. We've all got 12 minutes a day. Now, I found this infographic when I was studying to be very interesting. Some of you may not be able to see it because of how small it is, and that's okay. I'll just talk through it. On the left-hand side, it shows the percentage of people who spend 30 minutes or more on these kinds of activities, activities like email, TV, 
YouTube, social media, reading books or hobbies or house chores. 30 minutes a day doing that. And then on the right-hand side, the infographic shows what you could do with those same 30 minutes a day if you spent them reading the Bible instead. Now, here's some examples. You could read through the book of Ecclesiastes in one day. It only takes about 30 minutes to get through that book. You could read through the book of Romans in two days. You could read through the entire New Testament in 40 days. You could read through the entire Bible in 160 days. To start to get a grasp on the sword of the Spirit, we have to read our Bibles. We've got to read them. The second thing we need to do is we need to hear the Word. We've got to hear the Word. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And Luke chapter 11, verse 28 said, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. So we must not only read the word, we must also hear the word of God. How can we do this? Well, you're doing it right now because you came to church. That's one way. There's several ways you can hear. You can attend a Bible study. You could download an app on your phone. There's so many free apps you can get. There's one called the Bible app that you could download. You can listen to that. My favorite to download is called the Words of Promise. It's a dramatized version of the Bible in the New King James. And there's many voices in it. There's many actors that play the voices in it. I like the dramatized version. Jesus, the, one, the voice that plays Jesus is Jim Caviezel. He's the same guy that played Jesus in The Passion. So that's one of my favorites. You can download that. There may be a cost to it, but it's worth it. I listen to that all the time, actually. So you can listen online through your computer. You can listen on the radio. You could even listen to it on the TV. But one big challenge when it comes to hearing is that we forget 95% of what we hear after 72 hours. This is not a very encouraging statistic, especially not encouraging for us pastors who come in on a Sunday, preach the word, and by Wednesday, most of the people who heard it can't even remember it. It's not very encouraging. So we've got to deal with these things that block or impair our hearing. We've got to deal with them. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 18, that we are to take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. In other words, we need to consider carefully, how do we hear? Jesus told an entire story about this in Luke chapter 8. It's called the parable of the sower, in which our hearts and our minds are compared to four different types of soils. Who's familiar with this one? Some of you, okay. There's four different types of soils. So the first soil is the hard soil, where our hearts and our minds are closed. They're closed, meaning they are full of pride or bitterness that keeps us from hearing the word of God. That's the first type of soil. The second one is the shallow soil, where our hearts and our minds can be superficial, meaning we really aren't all that serious about hearing the word of God, or we simply don't consider it all that important. The third type of soil is the rocky soil, where our hearts and our minds can be preoccupied, meaning we are too busy or we're too concerned with other things to concentrate on the word of God. And then you have the fourth soil, the good soil, where our hearts and our minds are willing, they're eager, and they're receptive to having an attitude towards the word of God. The closed mind, the superficial mind, and the preoccupied mind are all barriers to effectively hearing the word of God. Now, another significant barrier to hearing the word of God is sin in our life. We need to deal with sin by confessing it before the Lord, and then we've got to turn away from it. 
We've got to turn away from that sin. And if we deal with these things that impair our hearing, we can more effectively hear and retain the word of God. The third thing we need to do is believe the word. We've got to believe the word. Now, this is third on our list for a reason. You can't really believe the word of God unless you know it first, which means you must be reading it and hearing it before you can truly know it. And once you know it, you must believe it. Because if you read it and you hear it, but you don't believe it, it is not going to do you any good whatsoever. In Hebrews chapter 3, we are warned about unbelief. And we are reminded that the Israelites who were unable to enter the promised land, that was the, the place that God had promised them rest from, was because they disobeyed God through their unbelief. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're reminded that the same message we hear today of God's promised rest, that's his salvation, the gospel message, that same one is the same one the Israelites heard in their day, but it did not benefit them because they did not believe it. They did not receive it by faith. And that is a warning to us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says this, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, them meaning the Israelites in their day. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And so there is the dilemma right there. If we do not believe the word of God by mixing it with our faith, then it will not be effective for us. It will not profit us whatsoever. We must believe it and we must receive it by faith. The fourth thing that we need to do is we need to memorize the word. Memorize the word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is so important because when you're in the heat of battle and you're facing temptation of some kind or you have an assault by the enemy, if you've hidden the word in your heart, then you can pull out your sword and defend yourself with it. You can defuse any spiritual attack with the word of God, no matter how strong it may appear. When it comes to memorizing scripture, the problem is not ability. The problem is availability. It's never about ability. It's always about availability. Are you making yourself available to memorize Scripture? Listen, anyone can do this. Anyone. When the Word of God means something to you, you will read it, you will hear it, you will believe it, and then you will memorize it. Now, I want to assign all of us some homework over this next week. So if you've got a pen, I want to encourage you to write this down. Here's your homework. Read Psalm 119. Read Psalm 119. Read it. Read all 176 verses in one sitting. Try to do it in one sitting. Trust me. Trust me. It will be so good for you. It will be so good for you. If you're struggling with warming up to the word of God, this exercise, this homework assignment very well might be what you need to start to see the value of the word of God. Pray and ask the Lord to open your eyes to his truth and give you a hunger and a thirst for the word of God like you have never experienced before. Pray that. And then you can memorize scripture by deliberately focusing and practicing on a specific verse, or you can become so familiar with the scripture by reading it over and over again that you'll eventually have it memorized. But whatever method you choose, we have to memorize scripture. I've said this before. There may come a day when we don't have access to the written word of God anymore. And all we're going to have is what we've hidden in our heart. You don't believe me and think that's not coming? Anyone seen the news about they're planning to rewrite the Bible using artificial intelligence? We've got to hide this stuff in our heart. 
because they're already twisting it. And people who don't know better aren't going to know. I could go on on that, but I'll leave it there. The fifth thing we need to do is we need to meditate on the word. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night. There's the day and night again. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. That's the same scripture that's right here on the wall, to my right and your left, right above the Bibles, to help remind us that we've got to be meditating on this day and night. That's the common thread in both of these verses, meditating on Scripture day and night. This is the key to being prosperous. This is the key to having success. Now, don't be put off by that word meditate. I know when I first heard that word meditate, I used to think of people sitting Indian style with their fingers on their knees. Oh, like that was meditate. That's not what it is. That's not not what it is at all. If you know how to worry then you already know how to meditate. (laughs) I say that because if you take a negative idea and you think about it over and over and over and over again, that's called worry. If you take a Bible verse and you go over it over and over and over again, that's meditation. See, that's the difference. I bet you didn't know that you already knew how to do that one, didn't you? (laughs) Meditation is simply focused thinking. So let me illustrate meditation a little bit more. Let me illustrate this by rumination. Who knows what rumination is? A couple of you. You ready for this one? Okay. Rumination is the process where a cow chews its cud. It chews its cud, and then what does it do? It swallows it, regurgitates it, chews it some more, swallows it again. That's that process. And they do this because what they're doing is they're pulling out all the nutrients they can from that grass. That's what cows do. This is exactly what you and I are to do with the Word of God. We are to focus our thinking on it. We are to spend time in it while we try to drain all the spiritual nourishment we can out of the Word of God. We must meditate on God's Word. Talk about that one over lunch today. The, second th- the sixth thing we need to do is we need to study the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We all need to be able to rightly divide the Word of truth. This means we need to know how to handle that, the Word. We need to know how to interpret it. We need to understand it accurately. And this comes through careful study of the Word of God. Now, the primary difference between Bible reading and Bible study is the fact that you're taking notes and you're consulting other resources. That's the only difference. A good good Bible study Bible can help you. Now, the Life Application Study Bible is probably my favorite. There's a number of different Bible studies out there. You can get um, the Life Application Study Bible in several different translations. 
King James, New King James, New American Standard, New Living. But I love that one because you've got scripture on the top and below you've got notes about what you just read. And the reason I like the Life Application Study Bible is because it applies, right? It applies what you just read to your life. It's awesome. So a good study Bible can help you. A good commentary can help you. Commentaries are usually scholars that are commenting about what scripture verse by verse actually means. And they go into it a little bit more detail. And there are a number of resources that you can go online for free. Biblegateway.com Biblegateway is one that you can go to. You can aggregate a number of different commentator, uh, commentaries in this one platform. That's all, I think, for free or a very limited cost. It might be like $3.99 or something a month. It's worth it. There's so many different things that you can get out there to help you in your study. There's all kinds of resources. I really like how Martin Luther puts it when it comes to studying the Bible. Here's what he said. Quote, I study my Bible the way I gather apples. First I shake the whole tree that the ripest may fall. Then I shake each limb. And when I've shaken each limb, I shake each branch and every twig, and then I look under every leaf. This is such an awesome, powerful visual to me. Just start with shaking the tree, right? And whatever comes down first, that's that stuff that's ripe. That's that stuff that you see right off the bat. You may not understand everything in the verse, but there's some, some big thing that you do see. That's shaking the tree. If you don't understand, you know, some of all the things in there, then you can ask a few big questions, like something like this. You can ask, what does this say about the character of God? What does this say about sin? How does this point me to Jesus? Those are three big questions. Now you're shaking the branches when you're asking those questions. And then we can go a little bit deeper by shaking the branch, shaking the twigs, and then we can look under each leaf. Looking under the leaf would be like doing word studies. Like if you're really advanced and you're getting hungry for that and you want to get into the Greek and the Hebrew, you could go to blueletterbible.org online. That's a free resource, and you can look up the Greek and the Hebrew there. So this is all of these kinds of things are available to you when you're studying the Word of God. The Bible is a treasure chest of wisdom, meaning, and understanding. You could spend your whole life mining it, looking for it, gathering up treasure. Study the Word of God. The seventh thing we need to do is we need to pray the word. We need to pray the word. This can be extremely powerful. Turn the word of God into prayer. If it's a command, then ask God to help you obey it. If it's a promise, then claim the promise. If it's something about God's character, pray that God will make this real to you so that you see it and you understand it. Now, we're going to get more into how and why to pray next week. Our whole message is on prayer next week because guess what? That's the very next verse in our text. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 is all about prayer. And that's how you mobilize that whole armor of God. Sometimes you read about the armor of God and they stop right after the sword of the Spirit. You can't stop. We've got to keep going because the next verse is all about prayer. That's what we're going to talk about next week. The eighth thing we need to do is we need to worship according to the word. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 24, that we must worship God in spirit and truth. To worship him in spirit means we have a heart that is pursuing him in a relationship with God who is spirit. God is spirit, so it's you're pursuing him. So we aren't pursuing God for some sort of external conformity, right? Well, we look like it on the outside because when we do that, we're just Pharisees. That's what the Pharisees did. Oh, they look great on the outside. What did Jesus say about them? They're full of dead man's bones on the inside. 
To worship him in truth means we are to worship him in a biblically accurate way, pursuing him who is truth. So we worship in spirit and truth. We pursue him by treasuring him inwardly in our heart, and that's what changes us. The ninth thing we need to do is we need to apply the word. We've got to apply the word. James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. To be a doer of the word means we have to apply the word in our lives. I could make this one an entire message, maybe even an entire series, just right here. It's not enough to read, hear, believe, memorize, meditate, study, pray, and even worship if we're not applying the word of God to our lives by obeying it. Unfortunately, there are a lot of believers who are like people who have a nice, shiny sword mounted on their wall. Just sitting on the wall like this for them to look at, right? There's a lot of believers like that. They see it, they admire it, but that sword never gets used. It never gets dirty. It never gets a blood stain on it because they never kill an enemy with it. You have to use the sword of the Spirit. Other believers are like people who go to a museum and they look at swords. You admire the sword behind the glass, but you don't handle the sword yourself. The only time you really get exposed to the sword is when somebody else tells you about it, but you're not doing anything with it yourself. And then there are believers who are like a lot of people who play with swords. They play with fake swords, wooden ones or foam ones like I've been holding up here. They play with those. You're trying to fight your battles with weapons that God has not given you. You may be trying to use a bunch of self-help stuff, reading a bunch of self-help books or motivational psychology and stuff like that. Listen, that stuff has its place. I don't mean to bash on that or throw it under the bus, but it is no substitute for the word of God. It is no substitute. These things will not help you with sin by changing your heart. They will not save you. So don't go into battle with a fake sword. Use the sword of the Spirit by applying it to your life. And finally, the tenth thing we need to do is we need to share the word. We've got to share the word. And if you're doing everything we've talked about up to this point so far, you will not be able to keep yourself from sharing the word of God because it will be the natural overflow of what's going on on the inside of you. It'll just naturally happen if you're doing all these other things. So share the word. If you put into practice all 10 of these spiritual disciplines that we talked about today, if you read the word, if you hear the word, if you believe the word, if you memorize the word, if you meditate on the word, if you study the word, if you pray the word, worship according to the word, apply the word, and share the word, if you do all these things, then you have a double-handed grip on the sword of the Spirit. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's the Holy Spirit who forged this sword. I want us all to be warriors in Christ who wield the sword of the Spirit with both hands in His power and in His might. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You've given us everything we need, all the armor of God, 
all the armor of light we have at our disposal. And we have the sword of the spirit, which is the weapon in this arsenal that can be used to defend and to go on the offense. And some of us need to go on the offense. Some of us need help right now as we're trying to defend all this stuff that's coming at us from the enemy. Lord, thank you that we have victory in you. Thank you, Lord, that you are the sword of the spirit. You are the word of God. And it was you who forged this. Thank you so much, Lord, for the word. I pray, Father, that it just, does, it just doesn't, it's not logos, it's just sitting on a shelf. It becomes rhema, where we hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us and applying it in our lives. Let us have ears to hear, Father. Give us ears to hear. I pray right now if there's someone here who's never given their life to Christ, they've never made that decision, that today would be that day. Lord, that you would draw them, that you'd woo them by your Holy Spirit today. May you cut through the pride. May you cut through all the, all the I can do it on my own and all that stuff that's just hanging right there. Cut through that, Lord. But we know your sword is sharp enough to pierce anything because you see it all. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So if you need prayer today, I encourage you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you. If you're unsure if you died tomorrow of where you'd be, if you'd be in heaven or if you'd be in hell, It'd be a good idea to make sure today, and I'll be here. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. Have a great week. God bless you.